0: An overwhelming feeling came upon me to read from the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 12. It was not my clearest intention when I walked into the sanctuary, but as the night progressed, it was pressed upon me as this moment is to declare a disposition and an intention of the body that gathers in this house. So I want to do it through the scripture. And then I pray that the Lord will give us the same discernment. Have you ever wanted discernment? Have you ever prayed for discernment? Have you thought you've had discernment and figured out that you did not have discernment? you ever thought somebody was something that they weren't and you believed it until you found out that they weren't? thought people were going to stay with you forever and they didn't. Thought people were going to leave you in the moment and they stayed forever. Got it all backwards. I don't think I have that gift. I'm praying for it. But I don't have that. I look at menus and try to discern whether or not it's going to be good or not. I mess up all the time. And I always end up saying, I wish I would have had what you had. This is 1 Chronicles chapter 12. And it's important to take note of it. And there's just one particular verse. Now, Jacob had sons. Those sons became tribes. Those tribes became nations. Some of those nations fractured and moved away. Some of them collided with their brothers some seemed drifted off into obscurity they were attributes of those men somehow through divine order or a purposeful ambition adopted some form of intention and perhaps gifting still with me now first chronicles 1232 And I'm going to declare it upon our church. And of the children of Issachar, here's your description, which were men, say people, that had understanding of the times to know what they ought to do. Amen. People with understanding of the times to know what we ought to do. I declare that I proclaim it in the name of Jesus over all the people today that calls this home, this church, their place of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll impose on you for a moment to just take the shoulder or the arm or the hand of someone close by I want you to pray that God hear pastor first that will give them discernment and understanding of the times so that we know what we ought to do pray that right now for your brother for your sister for your husband wife your neighbor your friend pray it give us father we know what to do we got to have discernment of the times. Come on out of your mouth pray it is intercessory prayer. Oh yes Lord. Oh yes Lord. come on it's got to come from God it must come from the Lord it must come from the Lord amen and all the people said amen I just I want to have you seated but I, you can't because I'm not ready and I just I'm, I don't mean to wear you out I just I, I've, there's a couple more steps here if you'll just be patient I feel you Lord Coria basata Ishaya Coya basi tiara. Thank you, thank you. And you may be seated. It is unfathomable to consider... The grace of God to measure it, to spread a measuring tape, or to know its depth. Even the enemies of Israel, none greater than the Egyptians were offered nine doors of entrance into his grace. One act of obedience by Pharaoh would have changed the entire scene, but he turned them all down. Nine plagues wrecked the nation of Egypt. Nine spectacular and terrifying events shook the Egyptian king and should have changed his heart. But he turned them down and it decimated the landscape. Crops and fields and water and heaps of insects and frogs and locusts, the splintering of wood and stone from the falling hail, the livestock also carcasses too numerous to count the dead in the field nine plagues of unseemly proportions nine times in which Pharaoh could have relented and obeyed the desire of Moses when he rose to his feet to say let my people go but a hard heart held him back oh a hard heart I could never underestimate the depth of those self-inflicted wounds that come from a hard heart. At the end of it all, when the shock and all measures did not work, God sent the tenth plague and put it into motion. Yes, it was part of the type made clear on the cross of Calvary, but for now. It was the means to crush the will of this heathen king. Change their resolve. It's here that we find a new biblical term. The first time in the Bible, in the King James Bible, we find the new term, the new word, midnight. Exodus 11 and 4. Moses said, thus saith the Lord. He's speaking on behalf of God. I want to pause for a moment. And I want you to pay particular attention. Don't ever say God told you something to say if he did not tell you. Thus saith the Lord, God said this, about midnight, there's the first time, I will go out into the midst of Egypt. Days and nights and months and years of the Bible, they're not the same as depicted in our Gregarian calendar. The Bible tells us, in fact, that the evening and the morning were the first day. It's very different from our terminology. It declares a different measurement of time. Midnight was not just about 12 a.m. It actually meant the darkest period of the night. It was that moment when it could no longer grow darker and before the mood of time had shifted. Midnight. It was depicted as the hour of most dread. It was hopeless. It was the absence of light. The depriving of mercy. A dark moment. Now, to be certain... Good can come out of midnight. It can. At midnight, Paul and Silas sang, praise God. In a dark time in your life, you can change the mood. I, I'm just asking everyone just to find a place. Joy can rise out of the depths of that abyss. But it lies In a different way, most of the time, invokes a poverty of the soul, midnight. In the midnight hour, death came sweeping over every home, both Egypt and Israel. Both were subject to the construct of the final plague. The other nine never came close. To the water, shrubs, trees, homes, or families of Israel, nine were meant as a warning. They were fierce in nature, but they were elements of God's mercy also, calling, beckoning to the Egyptian Pharaoh to turn away. But the tenth, that tenth plague, held no favor of lineage. It visited every home it found. That angelic being was ready to pour out judgment from that vial of death. He moved among them at the darkest hour, bleak, fearful midnight hour. And from house to house and off in the distant Egyptian collective came a weeping one after the other. Unsuspecting fathers and mothers ran to the bedside of their firstborn sons, all of them cold and still indifferent to their cries and pleas and hugs and tears i'll read in the bible and pharaoh rose up in the night he and all his servants and all the egyptians and there was a great cry in egypt for there was not a house where there was not one dead dead The Bible says that even in the field, animals stood atop their lifeless offspring. They moaned, nudging them with their nose, a hoof, kicking their side with no avail. And while we reflect on the lamb and his blood that saved them that night, all of it coming to the fulfillment at the Passover where Jesus died, the lamb of God slain, blood, atonement, redemption. So also judgment is found in that very same page. For if the lamb and blood of the final plague represents our salvation, the absence of it represents final judgment. Consider the words of Jesus in John chapter 9. He and his disciples are walking together, some nondescript place. Maybe they've gone that way before, we are not privy to it. But they come upon a familiar man who was born blind, the Bible says, from his mother's womb. The blind man is known among the people. They all know him. He's no stranger to them. He's been there before for a long, long time. They will ask the Lord about the man's condition. There is a discussion among them. Jesus will eventually heal the blind man. The Pharisees are quick to denounce the miracle, saying that Jesus has used his power by Beelzebub, a wicked spirit. And then a query ensues they call the man's parents to ask them verification. Was your son born blind? And they're afraid. So they say, ask him. No one wants to respond. It finally ends up with the man. And he asks the question, I don't know whether Jesus is a sinner or not. All I know is that I was born one way and now I'm a different way. I was blind, but now... I see. Even that itself is kind of a deluded answer. They're all worried about what the Pharisees would say. But in the middle of the deliberation, Jesus had made a statement, which is often lost in the narrative. The disciples will not revisit it. And Jesus will make no further explanation of it. They are all consumed with his miraculous power. But they fail to recognize his timing. That's what happens with miracles in churches and among people. They are mesmerizing. They're wonderful. They're worth rejoicing over. But what about the time? You want the miracle. You're ready for the miracle. But there's very little anticipation about the time. The time, ladies and gentlemen, is more critical than the miracle. Because you can have a miracle and still be lost. And you can have a miracle and a wonder in your life and still be blind and helpless. You can have physical blindness healed, but you can be spiritually blind to the times. But I stand here and declare to all the church, we must become and we must and we will become. And I proclaim it and declare it, Lord, let it be that we will be sons and daughters that have awareness of the time to know what to do. Hear me? You better know what to do. You better know what to do in the last days of time. You better know what to do when the devil comes against you. You better know what to do when the enemy rises. You better know what to do with godly wisdom when the government is against you and education is against you. hmm In the middle of all that query and deliberation, in the middle of all that construct of conversation and blame and guilt and vying for position and Pharisees trying to keep their own money and afraid that Jesus might take over their position, somehow crown himself the high priest. Little did they know that he is the high priest. In the middle of all of that, Jesus has made a statement and it just whizzes by their head and just goes right over them and nobody goes back to it. Jesus said in John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. They just passed it by. Maybe it was a distant thought, some obscure declaration clouded in the plethora of the Lord's proclamations While it is day, what does that mean? The night cometh, what does that mean? Perhaps to their credit, it did not happen in their time, so they just didn't have an awareness of it, but my spirit senses that it's going to happen in our time. It didn't happen in their time, but it's going to happen in our time. I must work the works of the Lord while it is day in our time. Day Day means the obtainable, the accessible. Day means in season, light. It is the ability to do the work of the kingdom. It did not mean from dusk to dawn. He wasn't talking about the last of a dispensation. He wasn't talking about uh, talking about a period of time in our in our day, in our hours. He was talking about the last of a dispensation right before the rapture of the church, right before the trumpet sounds, and the dead in Christ will rise from the grave. He said, You gotta work while it's day because the night cometh watch this spiritual revelations are going to be over renewals will be over baptisms and conversions will be over when the night comes the miracle working power that we all love and relish that we like to have in our own lives and redemption it's all going to be over when the night cometh midnight darkness it's the closing of grace it's the silencing of anointed preaching and teaching I can remember a few things from my college years. I I took an art history class that was way beyond my level and struggled to catch up with the other students who had taken the first two levels. I studied and had to memorize artists and painters and names of motifs. (laughs) The picture is better painted by the artist of more ancient times when in describing Noah, he did not just build an ark, but he also preached to the day of his departure. Second Peter chapter 5 calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. Whether by voice or by action or maybe by lifestyle, maybe by all of them, we cannot tell. But we do know that for about 120 years, Noah was building a place of safety, preaching, living, and preparing. The word had gone out. The sight was there. They knew what he was building. But they had no signs of the times in front of them. They had no awareness of what was going to happen. And the old artists declared the moments of what they called, and I quote, the midnight of judgment. The old painters called it the midnight of judgment. Comier, the French painter, he painted the moment when the skies grew dark. The rain came crashing down from beneath in a moment of time and without warning, the rivers beneath the earth exploded. Waters gushing from the ground, rain from above and waters from beneath. And with brush and quill, they drew their concepts of the unsaved that did not make it. Images of a high place where both man and beast clung together on a big rock people are shown running toward the ark a single door now closed pounding with a bloody fist for entry let us in, let us in fathers are holding their young children above their heads all the while darkness is cast upon the earth they're crying to help screaming for help but the ark was sealed and hope ran away with the day midnight the night cometh Jesus said it like this in Luke 12 40, but ye therefore ready be ready also for the son of man is going to come in an hour that you think not. You're not going to know it. He's going to come when you don't think he's going to come. How could that be? That happens when you get lax and lazy, lax and you think life is always going to be this way and you get comfortable. I rise to say to everybody, don't get comfortable in this world. He's coming like a thief in the night. There's a midnight pressing upon us. Listen, I'd be no good to you as a pastor or a preacher or a leader if I did not tell you that this world is going to wrap up. If I fail to mention that life is not going to be like this forever. There's a midnight coming. Jesus was so bold. He told them. And consequently, consequently, he told us. He spoke in the Bible. So many times he talked about heaven, but mostly about hell. He told them parables. Some of them were a little confusing, but many were easy to understand. He spoke about 10 virgins waiting for the bridegroom. Obviously he is the bridegroom. The 10 represent the church. 10 represent a, a type and it was part of the church. They all had what they needed at the beginning, but as time went by, half of them waned in their commitment. They lost their readiness. I won't retell the whole, just the last the most pivotal point Jesus said in Matthew 25 and 6, had in midnight there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Come out to meet him. Time was over. And the door was closed. Stay or leave. Five were ready. The others were scrambling, begging for help, begging please. The moment of truth had come and the door was closing. It was a call, a sound. It was over and there was no more time left. They did not begin that way. They began, all of them, with oil. They began with anticipation and passion and purpose. But you know, life deals us some heavy blows and violent shifts and it's easy for all of us to get off track. It's easy. It's not all at once, just a step here, or there. And we get used to things we ought not get used to. Do you know how many Pentecostals have gotten used to dead church? Dried up church? Dead worship? folding the hands. You know what's happening today in a thousand churches and ten thousand churches around America? People have gotten used to getting up and having a cup of coffee and turning on their TV to watch their church services while they sit on a couch. I, I, I get it if people are sick, but it's gone two years now and there's some people that won't go back to church ever again because they like the anonymity. They like sitting getting up and having a little coffee and tea and a donut and some breakfast while they watch their preacher and their church go about. Oh, they might even send in an offering. Hear me. We better wake up, midnight is pressing against us, and we got no time to lose I, I'm I'm, be, I'm sorry I forgive me. I'm going to be real crude here. You don't believe that because if you did believe it, you'd be clapping your hands and you'd shout right now and you'd say, I've got to be saved and midnight's coming. If you really believed that, you wouldn't live like that. You wouldn't come in and watch me preach, but you would say yes. In fact, you'd be standing on your feet and saying midnight is coming. Pardon me for being a little crass. I apologize, but I, I gotta just get this out. If you really knew midnight and you believed midnight was coming, you'd live a different way. You wouldn't live half-hearted. You wouldn't live on the edge. Yes. Uh, Todd, I'll tell you what's going to happen in the last days. People are going to hire a preacher. They're going to hire somebody. They're going to review his notes. They're going to make sure everything's good so that when they leave, they're never disturbed. And when they get into the church, you're never disturbed. And they're going to be comfortable all the way to hell. I didn't come here to make you comfortable. I came here to obey the word of the Lord. And he spoke something in my spirit. There's a midnight cry. You've got to get ready. The bridegroom is on his way. There's a midnight cry. There's a midnight coming. There's a pressing coming. Oh, and I hear the Spirit speaking expressly tonight that the midnight hour is upon us. Do not lose your purpose. Do not lose your passion. I know you've lost some things on the way, but God still has a plan for you and a purpose for you, and midnight is pressing, and you cannot afford to lose your fervency. Not now. Get up, get up, fill up, stand up. You have a mission to do. You are not over and time is too short. You are not over and time is too short. You are not through and time is too short. You don't have time to mess around and play around. Time is too short. Get in, stay in, get up, stand up, fill up. My father is 78, my mother is almost 78, <laughs> but they decided to open up their home for a Bible study. Last report I had, every week, she makes good food, people come for the food. My dad told me a couple weeks ago they can't resist the food. The last report I had, that 14 people were showing up at their house for Bible studies and during the midweek. I guarantee you that the vacuum cleaner is exactly where I left it in the middle of their room and there's stacks of papers and stuff all over the place I know that but at the table there's food nobody cares what your house looks like if you're serving love you got it wrong you got it wrong. You said, Well, I've been doing this a long time. Get up and do it again. Well, I'm a little older. Get up and do it again. Cause the hour's coming and the midnight hours coming. I wanna I feel like I'm speaking into someone with spiritual maturity. But it's not me, it's the Lord. So those with spiritual maturity, I just want to encourage you. Don't lose it now. You're okay. You're still in your window. You're not over and you're not through. Your knees may not work like they used to, but you've got a Holy Ghost power inside of you. And the Lord is going to flow through you. Get up. You're okay. You're okay. You got scars, but that's because you've been, you've been fighting this spiritual battle. You're a warrior in the kingdom. We all got scars. You got some deep scars, but get up. Come on. Come on. You're going to be okay. The midnight hour is pressing. I feel like I'm preaching into somebody who has spiritual depth. Hey! Hey! come on somebody the midnight's coming we got a work to do you've got a work to do You gotta say to to your soul, I'm not quitting now. I've been beat down, I've been knocked down, but I'm getting back up because I know I got a window and I got something to give to the kingdom. This is not about possessions. It's about the salvation of our families and the salvation of the lost. If your ambition is to gain and get ahead and get as much as you can, you're not going to win anything. There's no reverence for anyone who has more than someone who has less than. Not in this house. For, let me just paraphrase a little bit. For what will it matter if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? Let me bring it home. What will it matter if you gain the better job? but you lose your family. Do you know that there are people who moved away from their apostolic church because someone was offering them $15,000 more? And one of those people, one of those couples, they have talked to me about four or five years ago and said it was the worst decision we ever made. There's no church in our area. We're dying. Tell me how far that $10,000 raise went. What if you gained all of that, but you lost your family? What if you gained all of that, but you lost your oil? You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what you started with. I'm talking about that thing when you got it. You were so excited. You were so happy. And God gave you such a blessing. And you cried. And you prayed. And you were on fire. And you showed up for everything. And nobody had to ask you to get to the prayer room. And nobody had to beg you to get to Wednesday night. And nobody had to ask you to be a volunteer. You were just happy to do everything. The oil is gone. Just be seated for a moment. and Clap your hands when you get there. we got to have the Holy Ghost here. We have to have the Holy Ghost here. I know how this works to your disadvantage, ladies and gentlemen. I've been raised in this all of my life. That's to your disadvantage. I know all the tricks that people play. Nodding. That's good, pastor. And they don't believe that. I know all the tricks. Because I used to play them. <laughs> In fact, I made up some of those tricks. You ain't fooling me. I've seen it too many times. Worldliness gets into your heart. People become Faithless. And some become discouraged. It doesn't jump on you. It's, it's a word that we know is incremental. Incremental means a little at a time. See, darkness doesn't consume your soul all at once. It's incremental. When you step out of the light into a dark room, it takes time to adjust your eyes. But if the light is turned down slowly over time your natural vision will adapt without you ever feeling the difference In science is called impaired dark adaptation it's when people are in a room and little by little the lights go down until finally their eyes became become adjusted to that and they never knew that there was a change in the lumens incremental People slowly become carnal. No one backslides in one day. They slowly grow faint over time. It's an offense here and a wound there. It's a neglect there and a disappointment there. It's an unanswered prayer and someone ignored them. It's a little rejection here and there. It's not being included. It's feeling left out. It's the word of the enemy. It's a bad seed. It's a friendship that you found in the church that's actually destroying your walk with God. Little by little, the creeping darkness prevails and dark adaptation with your eyes start to change. Let me just offer you a few statements and they're not all. I will not exhaust it. These are statements that no one will ever say at midnight. As soon as I get over a few hurts, I'm going to get back to church. At midnight. You won't ever say that. As soon as I get myself in order, I got to get my life in order. I feel better about getting involved. No one ever says that at midnight. No one ever says I'm really not comfortable with making a commitment. Maybe next week. Nobody says that. Or I'm not sure that I want my children to, you know, to really get super involved because I've been hurt before and I don't want them to get hurt. Nobody says that at midnight. Nobody says that when their children are backslidden, strung out, having, watch me, having babies out of wedlock, caught by the world, with, with the pure conscience stripped from them and stained forever. Nobody says that. And no one's going to say that when the trumpet sounds. And there's a cry at midnight, the bridegroom cometh. And what they're going to do is scramble. Where are my babies? Where are my children? No one's going to say at midnight, I can't afford it. No one's going to say it, because at midnight, your money won't be worth anything. Your stocks and bonds and 401ks, uh-huh. your annuities, they're not going to be worth anything, nothing. In fact, in fact I like the scripture. Some trust in riches, some trust in horses. That's money and possessions, but we will remember the name of our Lord. I won't exhaust it all. Here are a few questions that no one is going to ask at midnight. You mean if I do this or I do that, you think God's going to send me to hell? No one's going to ask, does it really matter if if I'm not 100% committed? I'm there most of the time. Do I really need to pray? Are you telling me I have to fast and give and serve? You think God's going to hold that against me forever? There are questions that no one's going to ask at midnight. They might ask them now. But usually the people that ask them now are not going to make it in the last day. See, in that moment, things are going to be altogether different. Now, I've scoured the scripture. I've looked at it very carefully. And the Bible says that... The trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the air to meet the Lord in the sky. So shall we ever be with the Lord. There's an indication, of course, here that when the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ will hear it and they will come up from the grave. If their bodies are spewed out across the oceans, their bodies will come together and they will rise. And then they'll have a glorified body. If their bodies were burned to ashes in some fire or through cremation, their bodies will come back and they will rise. And then we which are alive remain, we're going to be on their heels. We're going to be coming up. Because we're going to hear the sound of the trumpet. But there is no indication that those who are lost are going to hear the sound. They're just going to notice that we're missing. And when that day happens and they notice and I pray that none of you are sitting in this room or hearing this tonight and the plagues of the world have come and the conditions have come and mercy and grace has spread itself who can know its depth. But the final and the last one when it's too late Because at that moment, when they figure out that the church has been raptured, there will be no room in this house to sit or to stand. They'll knock out the walls and the windows to climb in. They'll lay on the carpet. They'll come. People will do in that day what they've never done when they had the chance. When Pastor Shock got up and said today if you have a desperate need come to the altar. Sister Tammy said run! But instead most of us just said well I'll let someone else go. I'm going to tell you what you have a desperate need to be saved. You should be desperate. If there's one need you have don't waste your desperate need on a job. Put your desperate need. I've got to be saved and my family's got to be saved. at the end don't be lifting up your children at the altar or knocking on the door till your fists are bloody but today is the day of salvation and there's a preacher and there's power and there's Holy Ghost and there's anointing and you got a chance Midnight I feel midnight. I feel midnight. That's why we've got to activate Watch now Do you know why we're not witnessing and we're not talking to people about Jesus? Because we're afraid of what they might say back to us. And we're fearful. I'm not talking about being ugly and hateful. I'm talking about approaching someone and saying, can I help you? Can I introduce you to the Lord? Can I give you a Bible study? You're more fear, you're more fearful of rejection than fearful that they'll be lost. You should be afraid that they're going to be lost. You should be afraid that your family will be lost. If it's driving you anywhere, it should drive you to the altar. Every, every, listen, every single parent, you've got a lot on your hands. That's why you've got to be in this room when there's godly men around you. And your children have godly examples to look to. Every single mother, you ought to be running to this house. You ought to say, if there's one place we're going to go to, we're not going to go to the ball game. We're not going to go to the mall. We're going to get to church. Because I want you to witness good men loving God, serving the Lord. That's right. You got daddies and fathers right inside the house. Yes. midnight 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 I hear a cry and the church has got to activate hey listen listen I've, I'm, I'm partly apologetic. Forgive me, because in my own self, I know I probably shouldn't say it all, but in the spirit, I'm bold, and I'm praying on God. I pray that we don't have to beg people to come to prayer meeting, and we have to beg people to give. Please tell me that we're a church so consumed with the kingdom that everybody wants to see someone saved. Tell me, tell me that you want to be saved. I said it this morning, i got, I got to explain it. We have guests that come in this house. When there's guests, God loves them. Let's just love them. Let's love our guests. They don't know. Let's love them. It doesn't matter if they know the Lord or they don't know the Lord. They don't know this culture. You love everybody because they're a guest in this house. And let me just say, we never even use the word visitor. There are no visitors. They're guests. That's, we just got, just trust me, it's a good term. It's guests. They're a guest. If you don't can't remember that, just go back to be our guest, be our guest, put our service to the t- all right, never mind. Then we got people that are attenders. I want to talk to the attenders. Because I'm frustrated with attenders. The They're sucking the life out of me. You're not giving anything, you're not doing anything, you just like to see the show. I'm not up here for a show. The choir's not up for a show. Stop being a tender, be a saint. I know I'm. I'm feeling a little. I hope I'm okay. I'm wondering how many people I just lost. Okay, it's fine. Look, God's coming for people who are devoted, not half-hearted. You're lukewarm. He's going to throw you up out of His mouth. He's going to spew you out. I'm not looking for a big church. I'm not looking for a thousand people. I'm looking for a united church that loves the Lord, that's working together. Everybody, we can ill afford to lose anyone to the devil. Come on, say it with me. I'm not going to just be an tender. I'm going to be a saint and a child of the Most High God. I'm going to be a saint and a child of the Most High God. You need to make a declaration. I'm going to be holy. I'm going to be godly. I'm going to be an apostolic. Katayama Sandarama Shatayama, he Katarama, he Sandarama Shatayama Sataha, he Sandarama Shandayama. Yay, I feel it happening now. get in the boat. Come on, get in the boat. Come on, get in the boat. There's going to be an explosion. The skies are going to open up and the earth is going to open up, but we are going to be saved. Come on, you're going to be saved. You're not, you're not going to be lost. There's a midnight cry. There's a, there's a midnight cry. I place it right now on the people let the wisdom of the tribe of Issachar with an understanding of the times, what to do, what they ought to do. Let it come upon us right now as a body, individually and collective. Let the body, Lord, have the wisdom of the Holy Ghost. Let us have the boldness of the Spirit. Let us have fervency and prayer. Let us be a mighty armor of, army of soul winners and teachers and prayer warriors and intercessors. Come on, tell yourself, I'm no longer in a tender. I'm a saint. I'm a child of a king. This is my mission. And wise, come on, turn the page right now. Turn the page right now. Say it. We are determined. We're determined. (sighs) Midnight is pushing us for commitment, total dedication, commitment, a life change. We're only thinking about the Lord and the gospel. We're gonna just think about the saving of souls in our families. Oh Lord, don't let us be lost. Don't let us be lost.